Hey guys, what's up? This is episode five of The Secret Top Ten, and I have very special guest, Art Editor, who is the editor of Ultraviolet Magazine. He also does a bunch of commentaries for, you know, stuff like The Untold Story, upcoming Dr. Lamb. He's, uh, you know, done a bunch, moderated a bunch of panels at a bunch of conventions, and he is a walking encyclopedia of film, and in particular, you know, kind of uh, some of the uh, crazier horror films, stuff like that. So it was really, uh, I, I actually met our originally probably at wasteland just mutual friends just briefly talked to him at the table just uh and then i know that i remember he hosted uh one of the one of the kind of film festivals in uh i believe it was pittsburgh and i was at a couple of movies and i talked to him a little bit there well he hosted it and then over time i talked to him a little bit about other movies asking him questions and stuff he's always been really friendly so with mutual friends i thought i'd reach out and art's a good guy knows a lot about movies and i was happy to have him on the show uh he picked a good list all movies i am very familiar with or <laughs> or yeah, yeah, pretty much all of them, and we talk a lot about it. And this tournament was one of my favorite tournaments with one of some of my favorite characters in it. So hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, let's get into episode five of the Secret Top Ten. Hey guys, I'm here with uh, Art Editor, um, editor of Ultraviolet Magazine. He's done commentaries. He's been on a bunch of documentaries talking about movies. He's moderated um, panels, and of course, he pops up in August Underground Mortem. How's it going, Art? It's going well. It's going quite well. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready to screw this list up, too. Oh, I think you might get some of these, but we'll see. <laughs> I don't have a 100% failure rate. Like, at first I was like, I'm going to get like a, I'm going to try to aim for like a passing grade, like a 70, 80. And then after the first couple, I was like, as long as I get one, that's the passing grade from now on. Well, there you go. I think you're going to get at least one here, so... Okay, so uh, if anybody doesn't know the rules of the secret top 10, it's really silly. I invite a guest on who has movie-related stuff, and basically they give me a category for a top 10 of their favorite movies. I have two minutes to guess what they are, and then we go over the movies, we make fun of the list that I chose, and then we do a really goofy tournament that I based on the person, kind of their personality, whatever I think would be fun for them. I'm in. All right, so... Let me know when you're ready. Do you want to time me, or do you want me to time myself? I can time you. I um, I don't have... I'm trying to find my... Um, yeah, I think you might have to time yourself. I don't have an adequate timepiece in front of me. All right, I got to... I'll do it right here. All right, so if there's any caveats, like I know, like, let's say, for example, you do something like uh, um, somebody did Monsters, but they said no Kaiju, stuff like that. You right. know what I mean? So, so I'll say what the general um, topic is, and if you have any questions for me, because okay. I think you said on the first episode that you're allowed to ask questions about the... Um, Maybe one. Okay. Well, so this is a list of the top 10 confrontational horror movies of all time. Okay. Okay. I think that'll get a couple of these. So I would hope so. All right, I'm going to hit um, start now, all right? Okay. You can talk shit if you want to screw me up. Oh, I, I, you know, I'm enjoying imagining what you're writing down. Maybe um, the first thing you wrote down was Great Muppet Caper, for example. Um, <laughs> Contra I mean, you said most confrontational, right? Or film? Confrontational. That's the word I use. Other people have used other words to describe this type of cinema. But um, I've always used that word. Um, 
I don't know that I was the first person. I'm sure I was not the first person to use that word. Okay, I got some heavy hitters here. Let me think of some real crazy stuff that always makes the list. Mm. And I thought about, you know, doing a top 10 that might be a little more specific or a little trickier, but this is really my um, my number one wheelhouse, I would say. So. Oh, man, I'm blanking out. This always happens. I get like seven or eight, and then I'm like, yeah. oh, fuck, 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 because I don't want to go too hot. I don't want to go harder than that. Um, there we go. One, somewhat horror, maybe not. Got a real basic bitch list here. I mean, some of these some would say are basic bitch choices, but um, I on my own list. But I um, I stand by my list. Uh, there's many others that would fit on this list as well, but these are ones that have their special place. Ooh, ooh. There we go. Boom. I'm done. Seven All seconds right. to spare, and I'm not sure how good it is. And I'm sure right when you say like three or four years, I'm going to be like, fuck, I should have put that. So, all right, let's go. Okay, now, how does this go now? Do I go first, or do you go first? You go first. You go to your top ten. We talk about them a little bit. You can say as much as you'd like about them or as brief as you want. It doesn't matter. And I'll, I'll I do my entire top ten from yeah. bottom up, top down. How? Yeah, from your top, from ten to up from 10 to up yeah. and now the the rankings are really i'm never one of these i shouldn't say never in more recent years i'm not like a favorite movie guy like i have like a little group of movies certainly um at least one two three four five six i mean most of the movies on this list maybe one or two wouldn't be but most of these would be like contenders for my all-time favorite movie um, i see what you mean because because that's sort of my um in your face confrontational whatever you want to call them movies has sort of been my all-time favorite type but um anyway um the most obscure i shouldn't say it's obscure it's not obscure the um maybe um the number 10 choice might not be the most obvious but in number 10 number 10 is to be 20 the fernando de leo movie Meet a pair of adventurous young girls who know what it means to be 20. From the pleasures of the road to the free-spirited life of a wild commune, their 20th year is one you'll never forget. Let these two young lovelies show you what it's like to be 20. That movie is unique in that it is primarily just this, like, coming-of-age sex comedy, and then it has this extremely repulsive ending that just shocked me and i'm not easily shocked it yeah. really uh, i remember how that made me feel not knowing it was coming it blew my mind and um i'm very um i stand by that choice in as much as it just it comes from out of nowhere that ending in um ninth place let me i, I th i've heard of the uh, 2b20 movie raro put that out and i've almost bought it five or six times and I, then a couple people told me he's like that movie is really intense and you should watch yes. it but the cover is just like two pretty girls on the so i'm like is this is this well, i'm not sure what this is and and if you go way back um that was a um a private screenings tape back in the day a us vhs release of that movie that um did not have the shock ending and so 
people who saw it then like what are they talking about but the uh the shock ending is quite shocking and the duo the two lead actresses lily karate and gloria judah i think that's how you say her last name it's spelled g-u-i-d-a which i always pronounce um judah i mean i didn't pronounce i pronounced it guida but there's the band the um the band with the same spelling and they pronounce it judah so i don't know there's an there's a mma fighter named clay guida and it's g-u-d-i-a but people miss they say different names you know what i mean it's hard to say yeah well i think it's g-u-i-d-a i I don't know i'm now i'm (laughs) in any event um uh anyone can quickly look it up and be oh ettinger's slipping anyway um to be 20 highly recommended and um the ending will blow your mind the whole movie's cool but then it's like yes so in ninth place this is the most recent movie on my list it's also the only movie on the list that's not shot on actual film but this movie um i think is also wildly underrated and that's 2013's i spit on your grave too i'm gonna take good care of you which was far and away the best of the remake trilogy of of what I call the remake trilogy. And it is um, just a really mean movie, but like watching it, the whole thing is just like this movie's made for me. Like they know that there's a market out there for people who just like really like mean spirited cinema. And um, it's like an absolutely disgusting movie that had huge distribution and, it really needs to be seen by more people and appreciated more. And the British lead actress, Gemma Dahlander, she does an American accent in it. She's phenomenal. Um, I didn't notice an just, accent at all. Usually I pick no. it up. I didn't notice. No, and, and she's in some um, some other movies where she has her British accent. They're all god-awful movies, but I'm a fan of her, so I'll watch anything with her. <laughs> and I don't think she's been in anything else that's good, uh, but I, I love her. And uh, I love that movie. I think that it's just, it's so mean. It was um, a mean-spirited movie. It legitimately, one thing after another, I remember just kind of almost being too disgusted. Like, in the rape scene in the well, the part, it's pretty rough, too. Well, so there's a rape scene, and I remember thinking, oh, that's it? That wasn't fair. And then there's another one, and then there's another one. And then they <laughs> take her to another continent, and there's some more. And then the revenge scenes are so over the top, and they're just like, it's a yeah, wonderful, wonderful movie. Um, I'm not a fan of that sucked out color look and it does have that um, appearance. Yeah. And so for me to like a movie with that um, sucked out color look says a lot about it. Um, it's it's a phenomenal film. Uh, I think it's actually the only trilogy that the first one is the worst of the remake trilogy. And it really is. And it's not a bad movie. And I had the um, unusual experience of getting to see it in a theater in 35 millimeter which was cool. I drove far to make that happen, but um, it did play some places theatrically and on film. And so I shot on film, we saw it on film and that was exciting. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I, that was the weakest of the three. I do, I do like that movie though. I like all five of the, I spit, whoever thought I spit in your grave would turn into a franchise, but I like all, <laughs> all five of them and the documentary. And yes. So um, in, um, and I guess I didn't number them. So I guess this is an eighth place. 
is murder set pieces. It's ironic. Women suck blood out of men every day. But at the end of every month, it leaks out. Going to hell is easy. It's getting out that's hard. Uh, murder set pieces. I also had the pleasure of seeing theatrically. I saw it on opening night in New York City. I was at Chiller in New Jersey, went over with some people, saw it on the big screen, and the audience loved it. It was like um, just this wild experience seeing it in a rowdy, crowded theater. Um, you don't get to do that too much in today's world. And then um, the backlash against it, I, it just was the ultimate example of a follower mentality. Like I was in a crowded theater with people adoring this thing and then suddenly everybody and their mother hates the movie like did all those people even watch the movie i know that the director didn't do himself any favors yeah. i personally know and like the guy i like the guy a lot um i think he would agree that he didn't handle things particularly well um and you know i'm sure looking back on it he's a little bit embarrassed about some of that but um great movie um and uh, you know i think that um you know the the on-screen murder of children the it's, it's unmatched it, it's unmatched the 35 millimeter footage of the world trade center that happened to be shot by the dp of that movie it's some of the only known 35 millimeter footage of the world trade center the inclusion of that like it's a it's quite the film and i stand by that movie to this day uh you know in addition to seeing it on film there we brought it here and i saw it a few more times on film and you know that same year and this movie is not on my list, but that same year, Chaos came out, which was another I movie that was reviled by most people. I love that movie as well. Those were kind movie. of the last two like shot on film, extreme American movies. I'm, I'm sure there have been some since, but yeah. those are those are two of the like <laughs> pinnacle of this millennium. Um, so that was what eighth place. Can I um, ask you a question on Chaos? Please. Like. I feel like Chaos is the true remake of uh, Last House on the Left. The actual spiritual remake, if that makes any sense. So, I love Last House on the Left knockoffs and remakes so much that that was one of my ideas for what I would do for a list here. I could easily name 10, yeah. I sp a 10 um, Last House on the Left knockoffs that I adore. And um, I, do, I do think that, you know, I'm not one of these bandwagon jumping anti-remake people i mean you look at something yeah, yeah, like yeah. the fly or the thing or scarface and people are like "Ooh, last house on the left's being remade i mean it's already been remade a bunch of times did you not love night train murders did you not love last house on the beach house on the edge of the park i mean some great movies yeah for sure last house not and last house itself was kind of a remake if you believe wes craven when he said his inspiration was virgin spring so i mean um whatever it's um I didn't. I wasn't a huge fan of the official Last House remake. Me I either. thought um, it wasn't terrible, but it, I the, the ending was so lame. Didn't have any guts. Just, no, but Chaos. People always ask me, "Oh, you know, how come you haven't written a movie? How come you haven't made a movie?" And almost every idea I had for a movie ended up in Chaos. Like I, <laughs> I had these ideas for a Last House remake, um, or like a, not remake, but in my mind, like a you know another last house inspired rape revenge movie and so many of my ideas including down to um one of the girls was african-american one of them was white um the um 
uh, there would be very little revenge. It would be heavy on the first step. Now, like so many of my ideas ended up in that. Um, only one major idea of mine isn't in there. But anyway, um, that was kind of exciting and sad at the same time. <laughs> Plus, around that time, right after I saw Chaos, was when I became in-person friends with Sage, who died young, unfortunately. Yeah, that's sad. I knew him, you know, not in person before that, but yeah, we became quite close. Anyway. Um, oh, before we get to that, I want to make sure people with murder set pieces, there's multiple cuts of that movie. And if anybody had rented the Lionsgate rental that was widely available in the stores, that version is kind of cut up and it's not as good as the director's cut, which is, it's kind of, yeah, I, I'm sure you know more about it than me, but I remember the director's cut is really crazy. And well, and unfortunately, the best cut, the theatrical cut, has never been officially released in the states. And the PAL DVDs of it um, don't play back correctly; they're jumpy. I have a copy of it on VHS, like a screener that they had back in the day. But uh, I like the theatrical cut best. I moderated the commentary on the director's cut, which was total rock star stuff. Like I, I um, you know, I love Nick Palumbo, but I thought he was blowing air up my skirt when he was like oh we'll fly out to la and then sure enough he calls me up one day and he's like what are you doing next week and he flew me out to hollywood to record i mean these days you would do it by zoom oh, or yeah, whatever yeah. but we recorded it in a dolby studio they were doing like the star trek episode next door it was cool it was a very wonderful experience but um yeah i didn't know him when i first saw him fell in love with the movie and um you know i it's a great film so really cool Good um, stuff. yes in um in seventh place some people might say this movie is less confrontational than the other movies on my list uh, i still think it belongs here because it does steve people out and it does have a nasty enough tone that i think it warrants classification as a confrontational horror movie and that's the original maniac maniac you can lock your doors but you can't lock the madman out of your mind. I wasn't sure about that choice, meaning like there's way sicker movies than Maniac. There's movies that are way more confrontational. I still think that it qualifies. So that's my uh, next choice here. Classic movie. I mean, classic it, movie. Got a lot of upset people too. So the confrontational, you know, the people picketing and shit of the movie helps the the case right there. Yeah, and Joe Spinell. Like anytime you see him in any movie, like. The beginning of cruising for example he's just like i love him in cruising uh, <laughs> him and mike star what's that him and mike star the cops in the beginning yes. and it was just yes. like him oh god mike... oh no they yes uh just that face that chiseled yeah but may i think maniac qualifies uh you know maniac is a lot of other things as well getting very careless blood in your hair what will people say so after Maniac in sixth place is my favorite category three movie, The Untold Story. In a sleepy port town in Macau, on the southeast coast of China, the gentle town folk are about to awake to an unimaginable horror. That movie is... Like murder set pieces, I think what upsets people the most is the on-screen murder of children in it. It um, exemplifies everything that was great about that era of Hong Kong cinema. It's been a longtime favorite of mine. And that movie, when I saw it, yeah, I was a big fan of the 70s confrontational cinema. And for there to be a new movie 
that was reaching that same potential really impressed me. That and around that same time, Aftermath came out, which doesn't qualify because it's a short film. But um, that um, that's another movie from the early 90s where it's like, okay, well, you can still do this. You can still make a new movie in your face that will um, shock people like these older movies did. Because there was this feeling like, well, you know, I remember being young when I saw The Untold Story relatively in college, right? But think being so jaded, right? Being like, I've seen oh, yeah, everything, yeah, yeah. you know, like... Um, and I had seen everything up to that point. Yeah, Wong. Wong's performance has got to be top crazy people of all time. Like his glasses, his man. Like that's my one of my favorite performances. And he's just like, it's so weird. You would never get like that's like having like one of the biggest actors from the America in a movie like that. Like and that right. wouldn't happen in America. And it's just an a list no. performance. No, the closest we came, I think, would have been Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs, yeah. which. Um, I'm not going to say anything about Silence of the Lambs. I don't want to discredit myself, but that's on the short list of movies I would describe as extremely overrated. But, um, and um, I know um, I, 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 I shouldn't even say that publicly, but I just did. Um, but, you know, I am um, about to record my eighth audio commentary, and it is for Dr. Lamb, with, also with Bruce Holchek, um, Holacek, as he says it now. And, um, I just watched like 15 category three movies. I'm brushing up on them. And Anthony Wong is in a lot of them. And he was tremendous. He very, he changes his look so much from movie to movie. Chameleon. He has this evocative face. Like what he does without dialogue in some scenes in some of his movies is really something. And um, yeah, what an, what an actor. Just really great A actor. So. Yeah, I, I love him. He's great. He, he makes those movies so much better than they already are, and I love those movies. So, yeah. Um, these top five, I you know, I think a lot of these could easily be guessed. Uh, probably most of them are on your guess, your guesses. But um, in fifth place is Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, good Lord. It's... It's unbelievable. It's... It's horrible. I can't understand the reason for such cruelty. It must have something to do with some obscure sexual writer. With the almost profound respect these primitives have for virginity. Um, that movie absolutely blew my mind even though i had read a fair amount about it i had access to great video stores as a kid any movie almost any movie that had been like legally available on vhs i rented as a kid that one was not i had seen um i'd seen jungle holocaust but uh, when i finally got to see cannibal holocaust and i'm not gonna tell some like bullshit story about how like worn out and like bad they, it, was, it was a good quality um, dupe the first time I saw it and it's just like it, it's an incredible movie it's so effective and it still shocks people and it still angers people and it's just um, great filmmaking on every level wonderful wonderful movie 
That's so, the hill I'll die on. That's the one. Like when people like this, I'm like, nope. That's a that's a brilliant movie. It's like there's so many layers to it. That's the one that changed me too. I, after that, there's no going back. That just blew my mind when I saw it. And I saw it on a nice copy too. Absolutely. And then um, when they finally brought it back on film, I remember it's one of the only times I've like left Cinema Wasteland to do something. Like it was at the Cleveland Cinematheque. And it was there, we had to go like on Friday or Saturday night, leave Wasteland for like, you know, two and a half hours or something, to, but we did it because I'd always wanted to see it in 35 millimeter. That was my first chance. Now I've seen it a few times that way, but uh, just, yeah, what a great movie. Um, and um, are we ready for number four? We're ready. Number four, two movies from Rogero Deodato in a row. Number four, House on the Edge of the Park. One of my all-time favorite movies, one of the most widely distributed in-your-face movies. In fact, all, all of the top four are movies I rented as a kid. Um, House on the Edge of the Park, wonderful movie. Um, it, the, everything about it just is is just it's movie magic. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. The ultimate Eurosleaze movie, the ultimate Eurosleaze cast, the music, the oddball acting, um, everything about that movie is just movie magic. Everything I want to see in a movie right there. Yeah. Um, Resort Alani score. I mean, that's one of my all-time favorites, too. In fact... You think 1980, and you make a top 10 list. That's one of the greatest years of horror films ever made. There's like fucking seven, eight, ten out of tens, and I'm like, the top of my list is both Diodato's movies. They sit at the top. Great, great director, and um, you know, great movie. Um, in third place is one of um, not only my all-time favorite movies, but the movie that jump-started my um, whatever I am today is Last House on Dead End Street. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. Remember, it's only a movie. Last House on Dead End Street. Rated R. Uh, that's a, a movie that uh, um, had this great mythology surrounding it because even though it played pretty widely theatrically, even though it was out there to rent on VHS, if you had a good video store in your town, um, it, no one knew who made it. It was made under aliases. Uh, it's a very um, low-budget movie to have that kind of distribution, but it's just uh, such a unique movie. And if you can connect with it, if you can get in there, it really um, it's a it's a rewarding experience if ever there was one. I just rewatched it for the first time in ages. And um, just a phenomenal, phenomenal film, and I, um, I love it so much. Um, I, it, it's, um, it, it defines confrontational horror. It's like um, the that movie just exists to like upset you. And um, you know, the older I got, the less these movies really. I just like audacious movies. Like these movies don't upset me. I can recognize that they would upset most people. Um, these, you know, to me, and I'm like one of the least violent people you'll ever meet. I've never been in a fight in my life. Never hit anybody in my life. Um, I've had the shit kicked out of me, but I've never um, beat anybody up. Never been in a fight. 
but um for some reason i just um i gravitate towards these like brutal movies and I, um, last house on dead end street the grand poobah so to speak very influential too like um the, kind of the one that's like the hidden influential movie like you always hear those but like a lot of the i know fred's a big fan of it too and uh van baber i believe is a big fan of that movie yes. and it's a pretty wild movie and it's made very early it's 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 kind of and it fucking the story about how it avoided the video nasties list because they put fucking toby hooper's funhouse on the list <laughs> that is very funny yeah. too but yeah, that's one I, I haven't seen a couple times, but I haven't rewatched in a very long time. I'll have to give it a spin. I remember liking it, though. Great, great film. And, you know, I had done this very long interview with the director for a zine that ended up not happening. The guy who was supposed to do that zine, Bruce Holacek, suggested that I give it to Ultraviolent. And that's how I actually started at Ultraviolent. So um, that was my first print interview, an 18-page interview with the director, and to go from not knowing who he was to meeting him to doing that to ending up speaking at his funeral it was a wild um time for me as a young man and um you know i'll never forget everything he um said to me everything he did for me great guy but even but that aside you know if you asked me in 2001 if you could interview one person in the whole world living or dead i, I would have probably said him as ridiculous as that might sound to normal people and um it ended up happening so I um yeah I forever treasure that experience. Um, That's awesome, and he's also on your shirt right now. <laughs> he's on my shirt right yeah, now. He's on your and that shirt. was my first live convention Q and A. I did um, a Q and A with him at Wasteland Number Three in two thousand two, and then I became involved with doing panels at that show from then on. But um, yes, um, and co-hosting mainly panels there. Um, in second place is I think no surprise. Um, I spit on your grave. Stop it! I spit on your grave. This woman will soon cut, chop, break, and burn five men beyond recognition. And there isn't a jury in this country that will convict her. Another movie that has stood the test of time. That movie still upsets people. That Seeing that movie with an audience is, is an amazing experience. Not everybody has had the opportunity to do that, but um, it's um, it really is effective. And just um, the ultimate rape revenge movie, you know, unless you're in the sliver of audience members who just can't watch rape scenes for whatever reason, I strongly, strongly recommend it. Um, Camille Keaton's performance is outstanding. The fact that it carries itself with no musical score whatsoever. Um, there's like a, um, a handful of diegetic... Um, moments of music in the um in the movie but other than that it's like there's no score um and that's another movie that was just you know sitting in every video store i had no idea that it was so going to be so like in your face i oh, saw yeah. that in middle school and i just was you know that movie that tape was everywhere and i'd seen a lot of things and I'm, okay finally gonna check out i spread your grave i had no idea what i was in for and yeah. um that's a classic. I mean, that that movie is also, you know what? You were talking about the Drained Out Color, I Spit on Your Grave remake, too. The sequel to it. And the first one had that, too, that Drained Out Color. And that's what bothered me the most because yes. there's such a beautiful nature about the first one. You don't expect something brutal like that to happen. I need it to look like reality. I need it to be, like, very scenic and beautiful. And then that happens. And it just all, it's perfect. Like, and... And also the editing techniques are, are underrated in I Spit on Your Grave. When they're the second rape on The Rock. And they just zoom in on Stanley's face, just to cut to Stanley's face. And he has that little, 
literally, he smirks like he's as you're just like that's so fucking those little details really make a lot of difference in that movie for me there's a lot of details and there's a lot of things to see in that movie i've seen that movie a lot a lot of times and i still pick up on um, on new details um obvious i think choice for number one is the most influential confrontational movie of all time last house on the left to avoid fainting keep repeating to yourself it's only a movie only a movie only a movie only a movie last house on the left um that movie also was everywhere when i was a kid and um absolutely blew my mind i i, I simultaneously felt when i first saw it that this is kind of a sick movie but i also knowing i already knew enough to know that it was such a hit that it was so adored that wow like there's actually like legions of people out there who want to see this you know that sort of like blew my mind as a sixth grader that like you know like i thought you know um the texas chainsaw massacre was a serious movie i didn't realize that like you could like go way up from there you know as far as um as far as that level of intensity the performances are really what carry the movie um but i like i get downright angry when people like don't like respect last house on the left call it amateur or like go fuck yourself what's your favorite movie buddy like like okay like last house on the left is amateurish like yeah that's why it stood the test of time you know these are the these are the tools who's like favorite movies um i'm not gonna name them but there's just like the dark night like handful of movies that just like the dark every Knights. like uh, <laughs> what's that i said the dark night's the movie you're looking for oh that movie was unwatchable but that's not the one i was thinking of but um i honestly do not i can't i don't understand superhero movies like um like i'm and like they're one of the only i go to all kinds of movies i love movies i watch hundreds of movies a year and i saw the dark knight in a um omnimax giant science center 70 millimeter presentation like actual film and like the changing aspect ratio but like i honestly did not know what was going on in that movie like i genuinely had no fucking clue like um and like yeah not a um i i yeah i don't understand maybe that's how these people feel about last test and all that when i hear people praising something like that dark knight i'm like are you out of your fucking mind like, i do like I don't even know what they're talking about. They I saw like a different movie than me. But. I don't hate superhero movies, but they're not ones that stick with me. They're not ones I revisit and hold dear or have a connection to. Like, you know what a, a test of time for a movie is? Power. And even if there is no movie's perfect, you got to love the movie for the flaws too. But Last House on the Left has got a lot of fucking power. And it always it always upsets me and it makes me cry a lot of times. You get And same thing with Cannibal Holocaust. Like some people just don't like to have their, their emotions fucked with in a movie. I do. I do like that. I want you to put it in your mouth, and I want you to blow your brains out. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, yeah. Now, Last Test on the Left is again one of those movies I just watch over and over and over, and it's um, it's it's it changed the way movies were made. I mean, for a number of reasons, including just it being such a hit. You know, this like little sixteen millimeter movie just was such a fucking hit, and um. It got a lot of press. It played for years and years and years in um, in most places. And uh, wonderful movie. Uh, and yeah, that's my top ten confrontational horror movies of all time. There's 
I'm not going to go through runner runner ups, runners up, but there's like tons of them. I mean, oh, there's yeah. lots of movies that could be included just as reasonably, but those are my choices. Wow. And I stand by them. Great, great list. I like all those movies on the list for sure. Um, one thing about David Hess is, I mean, his performances are so good in House on the Edge of the Park and Last House on the Left. I actually, well, I had to do this short movie and the character had to carry a straight razor, you know? And you better believe when I carried it, I carried it to my side. I had to because of those movies. Like, I was just like, there's no other way to carry yeah. this to walk and hold it to the side like that. Like, who would have thought of that? No one would have thought of that. He had to, like, it was just unique little way like that that just stuck with me. Okay. I didn't do as well as I should have. I should have went more obvious and just picked I, the movies I know you love. But I was like, well, maybe he's going to switch it up. Um, <laughs> but I didn't do absolutely terrible either. I mean, it's still technically a failure, but I still got more than one. So, there you go. Uh, number 10, I put Eric Stanzi's Scrapbook. That's all you get to see. Uh, I, I went very basic because I keep doing this. Every time I go to write the list, like you just your mind resets and you start writing the most basic stuff that comes to your head. Uh, number nine, I put Irreversible. Love that movie. And also, um, the fact that Gaspar Noe gave us an interview post irreversible for ultraviolet that's on the short list of names that like I can drop to get basically any interview. Cause like what director is going to be like, Oh, well, like I'm too good for you when you've interviewed Gaspar Noe or Alejandro Podorowski. Like oh, yeah. we have a few big names that I can just be like, we've interviewed these guys. And so like, who's going to be like, Oh, I'm, Oh, you interviewed Hodorowski, but I'm too good for you. Like no one. So no one worth, no one we'd want to talk to. So exactly. that was, it was actually, um, my, um, I interviewed Doug Buck and he was good friends with him and he got us in touch with him and that was extremely cool. But yeah, no, that's a great movie. Um, I put Sallow because like I said, basic bitch list. Sallow almost made my list. Um, I thought about putting Sallow on there. Um, but, um, I just wanted to be more honest about the movies that personally affected me. And like, I loved Sala first time I saw it, but it didn't have the, um, I don't know. It's like, um, it's a sick, it's a sick movie. And it definitely fits in with this category, but it just doesn't have the, um, it, it's not one of my all time favorite movies. It just isn't uh, for whatever reason. But, it's very um, polished in comparison to a lot of this it's a, list. It's a beautiful movie. And, um, you know, like, um, but um, yeah, I watched it. I rewatched it recently, and it, it was—it almost made this list. So uh, then I got two here. I'll put them together, and I really shouldn't have put one because I put August Underground and August Underground Mortem because yeah. they always make the list on there. Now I I um I saw the original August Underground before most people, actually before just about anybody, and I, I had not met Fred yet. Um, and I'm actually one of the few people. I've actually met the other guy, the guy behind the camera um, in the original August Underground. I also got to go to the original August Underground location. Basically, uh, 
when I first saw August Underground, I was extremely impressed. I really, really liked the um, the long takes. That's really what impressed me the most. But no, that was a um, a great revival of um, of this type of movie. And um, yeah, August Underground um, certainly has its place on um, on a list like this. Um, being in Mortem, I think maybe um, makes it a little bit. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit too closely connected to. I, I usually don't include August Underground on a list like this, but um, the Mortem experience was a lot of fun. Just like being on set, um, and um, it just that was a blast. And um, you know, this very room that I'm recording in appears in the movie Mortem. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I. Um, that was a good that was a good and wild time so yeah when i think of sick movies uh mortem's too much for me like that's one that's like i don't want to rewatch this any i can't rewatch this anymore but the first and the third one i, I watch more because mortem is just a lot to, a lot it's a well lot. The, the thing about mortem that i think um you know and i don't want to upset any of my friends who made it but um kind of like cannibal holocaust with the animal violence mortem does blend some reality with fiction and um and that's and i don't know that the average viewer and i'm not going to say what's real and what's not but there's some things in that movie that are quite real and um and 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 that i think is one of its strengths it doesn't have the like um long takes of the original which is what i thought was like the most convincing thing about the originals you had these like really long tapes takes or at least they felt like long takes maybe there's edits in there that i haven't picked up on but um, Mortem is, is way more heavily edited. You had a lot of different um, creative voices that didn't necessarily always get along. But it's a it's a wild movie. And being a part of it, you know, I didn't use an alias. Neither did Alana. And uh, most people use aliases for something like that. And, um, you know, there's no pseudonym there. When I'm um, 90 years old, if I make it that long, some kid's going to be looking me up and asking me what Mortem was like. And I will tell them. So uh, <laughs> uh, no problem. Uh, number five, I got I Spit on Your Grave. I had Very to get good. one. Yeah, I had to. Um, number four, I got Last House. I had to have Last House on the left. Last House on the left, okay. Um, three, um, because when they come to mind when you say like most confrontational films, I always put these three down first. Uh, three is Serbian film. Bravo, bravo, bravo. Yeah. I'm not sure how you feel about it, actually. Oh, I only saw Serbian film once. I liked it. My, um, I guess what, I guess what surprised me about it the most was how, um, how it really tried to conform to, comport to, conform to whatever the most uh, best word is to like the Hollywood look of movies of that time. To me, it looked a lot like a Saw movie or like a um, hostile movie um, or whatever was popular at the time. It has like a very like mainstream look and feel to it. I like the performances. I have nothing bad to say about it, but it was a very like, um, I thought it, it, it like it was trying very hard to, um, to emulate what, um, what like mainstream horror was um, looking and feeling like at the time. Of course, plus with the addition of you know, some of the content, which is obviously not the, not at all like um, you know. But yeah, no, that um, I that movie did not um, did not resonate with me like it did with some people. I liked it. 
Um, I also really liked Life and Death of a Porno Gang that came out at the same time. Good film. Um, and I interviewed him in Serbian, the director of that movie, with um, a translator. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, I don't know, Serbian film, I think people viewed that movie sort of the way that I viewed I Spit in Your Grave too. Like, it just was new, and it was wild to them that in that time period, you could make, like, a not, like, ultra-low budget, like, kind of, like, bigger movie that had that um, that tone to it. And I think that's why it's so popular. And, again, anything with kids or infants is going gonna, gonna <laughs> to piss some people off, but whatever. It's a movie, right? Yeah, um, it's only a movie. It's only there's a, a lot movie. of things in real life worth getting pissed off about. If you're, if like a work of art pisses you off like that, you know, you might just um, not. You're the one who's not grounded in reality. You know? Yeah, no shit. And, if nobody uh, really got hurt, I mean, there's movies that actual people are getting hurt and dying on set. What Ben Hur? Somebody fucking died. You ain't mad about that. I know, right? Like, I always like animals get killed in mainstream movies too, but you're not mad about that. But because Cannibal Holocaust used it effectively, you're mad about that. I know, but. You know, it's just well, weird. I mean, undeni- that movie undeniably would be less powerful without that. Am I saying you should go and harm animals to make no. a movie? No. But am I lying if I say I care about those animals in that movie made back then? I, I would be lying. I mean, that movie is um, super effective, and that's that's a part of the effectiveness. And, you know, like, it's... Um, it's a, it works and it's a, it's a great film and in um the new documentary searching for cannibal holocaust interestingly some of what Ruggiero had claimed appears to be true they actually find a couple of um callum callum waddell actually found a couple of the natives who um acted in the movie and um they ate that turtle so um you know i don't know if i personally believed that until now but it's <laughs> I, it's true you know i have a lot of trouble believing a lot of the like uh sure. directors back in the day especially the mondo directors was that franco oh. posperi on uh wild beast he was like yeah. no rats were harmed like that rat is on fire oh, bro i i didn't believe um the story that um mir Zarki claimed inspired i spit in your grave and i told him so and he got really um really quite defensive with me and um i now do believe that it was true but that always just sounded to me sounded to me like the ultimate like exploitation director's bullshit story, right? Um, about finding the girl in <laughs> yeah, the corner. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, sure, buddy. But no, like, um, it, unless he has a lot of people lying for him, that appears to be true, um, including his daughter, like, has a vivid memory of that day. And apparently it happened. So I apologize, Mir. You were very kind to me and you were very patient with me. But, um, you know, that always sounded like bullshit to me. Apparently it's real. So um, you never know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Number two, I put men behind the sun. Quick freezing experiment. Yeah, so um, degrees. when I was in college, I taught a class called Sick Flicks that other students could take for credit. And we watched what at that point I thought were the most important confrontational um, horror movies of all time. And we watched Men Behind the Sun. Um, you know, that's a, that's a very powerful movie. Um, and um, again, it's just not like, a personal favorite really like it's not like a a movie that like i personally really um connect with but it is it's a good movie um you know it's certainly a powerful movie and i like the way that it uses um history and um politics to um and, and like art house cinema tropes to um to uh, combine with the sort of in-your-face techniques of um some of these other movies so it's an interesting movie 
Yeah, I mean, like that that's one of the big ones that I always say, like at the extreme extreme flicks of like what's a genuinely really great film? Like that is important. I always say Cannibal Holocaust, Men Behind the Sun. They're generally great. They have a message and although somewhat Men Behind the Sun could be considered propaganda at times, but it's not sure. inaccurate either, I don't think. Not too inaccurate. No. And you have you have other movies that sort of um do do similar things like um in a glass cage it's another like yeah. kind of like art house movie that also sort of like is so it like sallow or you know, man behind the sun isn't quite as artsy as sallow or in a glass cage but yeah you know um it, it's it was hard to not include that on this list that was like a a definite runner-up um so yeah. how do you feel about uh part four uh black sun um the nan king massacre yeah. um it's a good movie you know it's also a powerful movie so yeah um have you ever seen any of the other ones like uh 1941 hong kong on fire i know there's two movies called but the one exploitative one yeah that yeah. movie's oh, fucking yeah. bonkers uh, yeah Definitely. um and number one i got is cannibal holocaust of course very good you did well you did you got three out of um three out of ten and um you know i mean there's movies i you know like I thought about putting Ilsa on here the just because, like, in the whole idea of like a um, you know exploitation movie, um, you know, the whole Nazi exploitation genre is like on its face bonkers. Um, but um, you know, again, like there's these other movies I think warranted placement, you know, above it. Also, like they're like something like Blood Sucking Freaks, which oh. is like, like such a great movie but it's so sick you know but like because it's so comedic too like it's not quite what we're talking about with these other movies but yeah those are examples of movies that almost made the list there's also like movies that most people would include like henry portrait of a serial killer great movie um, love it like not you know not as there was an article that Chaz ballon wrote way back when that sort of um helped me like um crystallized my concept of confrontational horror it's called i spit in your face films that bite and um he touches upon this idea of movies that are made their main point is to make you feel bad but then you know now we've come full circle where i think a movie like murder set pieces or i spit in your grave too those are really like roller coaster rides for people like myself who just enjoy in your face cinema like those yeah. movies like there, no one's like the person who's going to watch I Spit in Your Grave 2 is probably not going to be that upset by it, you know? No. Like, um, even though it's super sick, you know? Anyway. It's like chasing the tail, right? Once you see something, you're like, well, I got it. What's next? What's next? And then uh, the people get into the death, the death films, and that doesn't, that's where I'm like, I don't really want to see real death. I'm going to, I see that in fucking real life. I don't need to see it on the screen, too, you know? It's got to have a fakeness to it at least so i can i don't know if it makes any sense it stops being a cinema at that point to me yeah i um it never was really for me i don't um i don't really have strong opinions about it um i i mean i remember the first time i saw the bud dwyer video oh, i was yeah. like like anybody else i mean i'm not sorry i saw it and like and i do think that with like um important social issues i think like it is important for people to um, to see to see acts of brutality. You know, like I don't like it when like um, there's like a police brutality video and and like it's a very like 
want to be liberal thing to be like, oh, I don't want to look at that. Well, you should look at it. I mean, everybody should look at it. Kids should be shown that in school. I mean, instead of teaching kids the policeman is your friend, let's watch the George Floyd George Floyd video and get real about it. I mean, like, um, like if like, um, so you know, video moving images are powerful. They can change minds. And I mean, people are finally waking up about law enforcement because of the um, prevalence of these horrible, horrible videos, you know, the Karen effect. These videos are sad to watch, but like they're interesting and they're important. And I think people should look at them, you know, and like, yeah, if, it, if you're preaching to the choir, if it's people who are already on the right side of history and they want to say that they, they they don't want to look at it, they can't look at it, fine. But like everyone else, I think um, needs to look at that stuff. But there I am getting on a soapbox when we're trying to have fun talking about <laughs> animal Holocaust. So I apologize. I mean, that's all right. I mean, I'm not going to stop anybody on their opinions, right? You know, people should see violence for what it is occasionally. You know, you can't have it all be fun. You got to see some real violence, too, just so you know that it's not fun all the time. Right. Uh, so the tournament. You know, it's funny. I feel like if I would have picked the movies for my tournament, I would have scored higher on my 10. Oh, okay. Well, so the tournament's ridiculous. I picked... Eight kind of sleazy killer rapists to go against each other, and you're going to pick who's going to win the fights. Now, there's one person in this that I'm not sure if you would rather have them. I'm, one, I'm iffy on one of them, so I don't know if I want to include them. I have a character I could change it for, so let me ask you. Um, we'll, we'll get to them, and I'll ask you. Eh, well, I don't know. I, I'm iffy on should I change it or not. That's kind of cheating, but... Would you rather have another Cat 3 character in here, or would you rather have a well-known grindhouse exploitation slasher character in here? It's up to you. Like, you're the one who has the reservation, but I, I can't... I'm trying to understand what your reservation is. I can't quite tell. So. I just think it would be more fun with the... the but this character's more known, so I'll go with the more known character, because half the okay. people are kind of probably be like, who the fuck's that anyways to me? <laughs> so. I think if someone's made it this far... And hasn't been like this Edinger guy's a dick, then um, they'll probably be fine with whoever you choose. So. Okay, so here we go. We pull out the first name in the hat is going to be Anthony Wong from the Untold Story. Now you're going to okay. predict who's going to win in the fights amongst each other until we have one sleazy psycho left. Okay. And Anthony Wong from Untold Story is going to go against, oh, oh, this is a good one, Alex from La uh, House on the Edge of the Park. Um, who's gonna so okay? They got a fight uh, to the death. This is just like a fight to the death, yeah. Um, oh my god, it's so tough now. Um, Anthony Wong's character in the untold story, um, he's very tall and he eats people, <laughs> and he's like crazy in a way that, um, Alex, the damaged veteran, in um. And House on the Edge of the Park is um, is maybe not, but um, they're both um, they're a good match for each other physically, I think. Um, but I'm gonna have to go with um, Alex in House on the Edge of the Park simply because we see um, we see poor Anthony Wong get beat up so badly by both the pigs and the inmates in Untold Story that's sort of, like, easier to envision him being, like, beaten up, you know? Whereas, yeah. like, Alex only goes down at the end. So that's, like, maybe, 
you know, the wires in my brain going with that, but um, because of that fact. But um, yeah, we're going to go with Alex. Okay, good, good choice. I was him for Halloween, by the way. Yeah, times. you've been him for Halloween like eight times, right? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I did it a lot, yes. Oh, this is funny because I know that you're like, you shouldn't put the same actor in it twice, but we got to have Krug from Last House on the left. How could I not, right? I mean, he's the king sleazy guy like this. And he's yeah. going to go. He's going to go up against... Now, I think I'm going to change this one, just because I think it would be more fun when I get to that. So, Oh, shit, this is a good one. Terry Hawkins from Last House on the la- on Dead End Street. Terry Hawkins from Last House on Dead End Street versus Krug Stiller. Oh, my God. Um... God, I'm going to. I just. Um, oh, yeah, I'm going to go with Terry Hawkins. Terry Hawkins has a. Um, what's interesting about both of those characters is they both have like leadership qualities. They both are able to, in like a Manson like way, get other people to do things for them. So they're both like on the. Um, on the uh, smarter end of things. But, um, yeah, Terry Hawkins, for him to be able to mastermind what he does in Last House on Dead End Street, I think um, he would probably be able to outwit Krug in the end. Um, Because Krug is, like, more of, like, a street-savvy version of of Terry Hawkins. So we're going to go with Terry Hawkins. Yeah, and you got to remember, Krug did get killed by a middle-aged man at the end. He does get killed by a middle-aged man. This is true. Okay, so this guy, he's pretty intense. Played by an actor named Gaylord. So Yeah, I mean. <laughs> then we have uh, the rapist slash killer from Red to Kill. Really intense guy in a onesie. Gosh. And he's going to go up against... I'm going to change the one just because I think it'll be a lot fun. Oh, shit. This is a good one. He's going to go up against Joe Zito from Maniac. Frank Zito. Oh, my God. Frank Zito. Sorry. Red to Kill is the burnt baby one, right? Uh, I think that's Underground uh, Banker. Uh, Red to Kill. Underground Banker. It's either Run and Kill or Red to Kill. Run and Kill is the burnt baby. There is a burnt kid in Underground Banker, but... Because they burn, they lock the apartment and throw matches in there and burn the right, cave. right, right. No, okay, that's right. Red the uh, kills the Anthony Wong teams up with the new actor playing Doctor Lamb at the end. Um, yeah. Red um, the kills the rapist with the mentally handicapped people. <laughs> I just watched all these movies in a row, so I just watched that one again. Um, yeah, that guy's awesome. Um, I mean, terrible. Um, uh, God, what a movie! Um, and who's right to? Who's Mr. Red to Kill going up against? Frank Zito from Maniac. Oh, Frank Zito is so greasy and wonderful. Um, but see, Frank Zito is sort of like, he has like that like slouchy body type. He like, you know, gets these women while they're down and alone. And, you know, he's sort of like, He's a very, like, I don't see him winning too many fights, you know? Um, so we're going to go with um, with our um, 
with our Mandarin speaking psycho rapist. Okay. I mean, and, and if and if uh, Frank Zito's wearing red, I mean, he's done. He's done. <laughs> Didn't he have a red scarf in uh, Maniac? He had to. Yes. Okay, so this one's pretty fun. We got the Donald Duck voiced New York Ripper killer. Uh, New York Ripper. Oh, yes. And I'm going to change this one because I feel like it's just a little bit more fitting. And um, I'm, uh, I, I originally had Edward Ed, uh, <laughs> Edward Perdum from Pieces. But I'm going to go, I think, more fitting in this match will be Kurt Smith from Don't Answer the Phone by oh. Nicholas Ward. I think he's fitting and perfect for this fight. So we'll go with that. Oh man. Um, Do I measure up? Okay, so who's he going against? Who's the Mr. Don't Answer the Phone going against? New York Ripper, Donald Duck. Oh god. Now you're just torturing me. These are two of the like greatest, greatest dudes in, um, in, um, oh god. Yeah, now we're gonna go with the Nicholas Worth character from Don't Answer the Phone. He's just like, um, you know, um, oh god. Every time he calls that, um, Every time he calls that radio show, you just hope things are going better for him, and they're just not, you know. <laughs> so we'll let him win the fight, you know. I mean, he's 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 one of my favorite character actors, Nicholas Worth, and that that's like his, one of his only big roles, and he's so fucking intense. He's like, how do I measure up, Dad? I just revisited that because we were supposed to have a Don't Answer the Phone reunion at Wasteland. Flo Garish, Flo Lawrence was there. She's great. Um, We've um, been talking ever since Wasteland, and she appears in the new Tom Six movie that hasn't gotten released yet. That um, oh, apparently shit. is really good. I should have given an honorable mention to Human Centipede Two. I had it. I almost when, wrote it. I almost wrote that one when, down. I love that movie. So, um, do we have time for a side story, or are we? Oh, we got. We got as much so, time as you need. So I saw Human Centipede theatrically. I um, didn't really like it that much. I it was good. I'm not. It's fine. That movie, it's fine. It, it's fine. It's um, fine. Human Centipede 2 absolutely blew my mind. I fucking loved it. And I knew that Lawrence Harvey, the actor from the movie, was going to be a chiller, right? And my plan, of course, was as soon as I can, I'm going to go meet him. Well, being the social butterfly that I am, I was too busy on Friday to meet Lawrence Harvey. So I was going to have to meet him that Saturday. So I'm in the lobby at about 2.30 in the morning. I'm not 100% um, sober, let's say. And walking right up to me is Lawrence Harvey, you know? And he's, like, got this cute little British accent. And he's like, do you know where the bathroom is? And I'm like, oh, my God, you're the guy from Human Centipede 2. And I got to meet him like that for the first time at 2.30 in the morning. And then I also um, was sitting next to him at a convention, at a Days of the Dead convention, where I was... um, like working with um, with Jorg Butcherite and um, Lamberto Bava. And so I got to take for a private meeting, those three to a private meeting with John Waters. And that was really Jeez. fun. So, um, you know, um, Jorg had hosted um, John Waters in Germany and John Waters remembered him, et cetera. But I love Human Centipede too. And I loved first meeting him like in a lobby, you know, not at his table formally like that. So, yeah. And he's a really cool guy. He, um, um, really keeps up. He's a big cinephile, knows a lot about movies. And um, three cheers for Lawrence Harvey. Cool guy. And I recommend anyone who has the chance to meet him to do so. But also, this brings up why Necromantic wasn't on my list. 
and I don't really know. That's another movie that I like a lot. And, it's a uh, great movie. It's a great movie, and uh, you know, um, that's an example of a movie that easily could have been on my list. So. Part two is I love part two as well. That's a that's a good and excellent. He he made yeah, four excellent. four horror movies, and all four of them are good. Dertowsking and Shram, they're all very good. Shram is probably as far as like objectively speaking that's probably the best made of them i love that movie but yeah all four of them are great so camera work in trauma is, is really great when it does the yeah. flip i was like oh shit remember seeing yeah. that and i just was like i can't i don't even know we did that yeah hopefully so uh moving on to the tournament that pits alex from house on the edge of the park versus terry hawkins from last house on dead end street oh my god um uh So, um, going back to this idea of like, of, um, like physically, if you're talking about a fight, like, I think, um, I, I think that Alex is like, probably has, um, more bulk to him. He's probably, you know, just like traditionally you would think he'd be a better fighter, but I think, um, Terry Hawkins is even crazier than him. Alex doesn't quite have the leadership qualities that Krug does. We just see the way that Ricky, um, you know, latches on to him. Um, but man, it pains me to have to declare a winner. These are my heroes. I mean, these are horrible villains. These are my heroes. And um, the um, Christ, you're, you're really getting me here. I think I'm going to have to go with, um, I think I'm going to have to go with Terry Hawkins. Okay. And now we got the the red to kill guy versus Kurt Smith from Don't Answer the Phone. God, as we, I like how we just keep calling him the red to kill guy, and I had it confused with running kill, which makes me like kind of a poser today. But um, I did just like it's like when you watch anything like a bunch of a type of movie. Oh yeah, I understand. I did completely. just watch fifteen of these movies um, in preparation for the um, upcoming commentary we're doing. Um, Oh my god! I'm going with "Don't Answer the Phone," Nicholas Worth's character, um, and um, yeah, he just you know, he's beefy. Um, he's big. He's beefy, and like, yeah, he is. Um, he's uh, he. I wouldn't. Um, I mean, I'd lose to all these guys, but <laughs> uh, um, you know, I would not want to be toe to toe with him. You know, so. if I. If I had to fight one, I'm probably going to pick the Donald Duck killer from New York Ripper. Because I think if the end reveal, he's not very imposing. No, have you ever seen the um, Thai poster for that movie that has, like, the duck on it? It's one of the funniest <laughs> movie posters. They actually have, like, a Donald Duck duck on it. Um, but, um, yeah. Um, so that, that leads to the final, of course, Terry Hawkins versus Kurt Smith. I mean, like... People aren't even going to believe that this wasn't staged because I came on here with my fucking Terry Hawkins T-shirt, you know, but like, <laughs> you know, and like my origin story. So as it were, uh, is having interviewed Roger Watkins and like, whatever, fuck it. Terry Hawkins is the winner. Um, Terry Hawkins is the winner in life. Like um, Terry is the answer, as the hippie chicks in the movie say. And um Terry is the answer to your question as well. Terry Hawkins. Okay, I guess he's directing this movie, right? He's oh. directing this fucking movie, for yeah. sure. 
Oh man, so that's uh, that's crazy. It's weird that like I picked like eight out of these, and like I think if I would have just went with the movies from this, I would have had a, I would have had like four out of the. F- <laughs> yeah, you would have. At least I know what movies you like. Yes, I mean I like all kinds of movies. I don't even just like horror movies. I mean I, I'm an avid cinephile, and um, my favorite movies do tend to be horror movies. But in any given year, the best movies usually aren't. Um, you know, especially these days, but not to say that there's not good horror movies every year. There are. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, and uh, I think people my that say that movie, don't watch very many movies. What's that? People that say there's no good horror movies that come out every year. They just don't watch very many. No, hell no. I think my favorite one last year, my favorite horror movie last year is probably John in the Hole. Um, I didn't watch that one. So good. Is um, it out yet? Is it a wide release yet? It um, It's on demand. It's about to come out on Blu-ray, I believe, this month, next month. Okay. Something like that, but yeah, great movie. Um, so, so what do you got going on? Any new upcoming things besides the commentaries and everything? Well, so I, um, it's no secret that it's been a while since the most recent issue of Ultraviolet. We've always been slow, and we've always put um, quality over quantity, and uh, we do have layout well underway on a new issue. It's going to be excellent. I'm very proud of what we have so far. So there will be a new issue of Ultraviolet that should be out. Hopefully, I'm, I'm realistically we're probably looking at fall on that. I also contributed to um, Deep Red, the third issue. I contributed to the first two as well of the new Deep Red. That's been really cool. And yeah, just lots of like um, featurettes and commentaries. Like the only commentary that's like definite and that like. I can basically talk about is Dr. Lamb. And um, I also have a convention Q&A that I did that's appearing on an upcoming Vinegar Syndrome release that has not been announced yet that I can't talk about. But yeah, no, it's been, um, look, it's it's a dream come true to get to do a lot of the things I've gotten to do. Um, a lot of my one-time heroes are now friends. And yeah, you know, conventions not being um, a thing during the pandemic, that was really hard on me. You know, oh, that's yeah. I live. I live for those. Uh, not being able to go see bands and not being able to go to conventions were really, really. You know, different people were affected by different things. I don't watch sports. I didn't give a shit when sports weren't happening. I certainly don't go to church. That didn't affect me. <laughs> you know, my job was affected, um, and that was weird and, and and challenging. You know, I was working the whole time, but it's not a job that's very conducive to remote work. Um, but um, yeah, the um, lack of conventions. I'm going to a few, you know, coming up here. Definitely Wasteland and Chiller, so that'll be a good time. And yeah, um, you know, a new issue of Ultraviolence, the big thing. I'm really excited that that's finally happening. And um, you know, I, the people who still read print magazines, my um, proverbial hat goes off to you because I, um, I love reading. I love magazines. They had a huge impact on me growing up. And um, I hope they never go away. I mean, we have less outlets now. We used to be in Tower and in Borders and in Hastings and um, Virgin Megastore and all these things that don't exist anymore. Um, Barnes & Noble is the last big chain that carries us. Uh, so, you know, you can look for it there. We're also in cool independent places and, you know, Diamond carries us. So we're in some comic shops too. But, yeah, it's, um, it's a labor of love and the next issue will not disappoint. So. Nice. Thank, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. We had a lot of fun. You had a lot, of, lot to say too. A lot of good, interesting stories. 
Well, no, I appreciate that. It was fun, you know, and um, I'm glad I chose the list I did. I thought about, you know, top category three movies or top last house knockoffs or top slashers or, but th this is really my wheelhouse. These yeah. in your face confrontational horror movies are really my favorite thing. So, and I, I love those movies too. So I was glad, you know what I mean? That's why I'm picking people that I know are a little different taste and mix it up stuff that I like. I don't, I know it sounds like I'm a, an asshole. I do like all movies, but if somebody picks top 50s musicals, I'm absolutely fucked. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a little known fact about me is I like musicals, um, but um, not 50s musicals. But, that's, you know, that's what I'm cool, saying. Cool musicals I like. So The 70s ones I like, you know, Rocky Horror, Shock Treatment, Phantom of Paradise, all the, even the trauma shit like Poultry. I like all that stuff. It's just, I don't, I don't know. My favorite movie last year was a musical. It's called Summertime. And it's the new movie from the guy who made Blind Spotting, which was brilliant. All right. And um, it's a great movie. It's like a really cool flick. So um, recommend it if you want to see a new musical. It's called Summertime. It's excellent. Yeah. So do uh, people follow Art on uh, Facebook? He posts all sorts of movie reviews of Vinegar Syndrome releases and all he's watching. This guy sees how many you see all the new movies coming out, too. So all the ones I want to. Yeah. All the ones I can. So except the Dark Knight. <laughs> yeah i don't i didn't see the new spider-man I, I i you know i try to go to see movies i'm gonna like you know the yeah, only yeah. time i go to a superhero movie is if Alana makes me go and um, she doesn't make me go i mean i'll go with her and um because she likes them and um yeah i mean i saw um what was the one i saw recently the, the one directed by the guardians of the galaxy guy Zack um, snyder yeah what was no, that? not Zack snyder stuff fucking dumb uh james gunn it's uh the yeah, suicide squad recently the suicide squad yeah, that movie sucks, but like I, I, I liked it, but I understand, yeah. you know, it is like, what it is. There's a few funny bits in it, you know, like um, like I'm a big fan of um, I'm not going to try to say his name because I'll say it wrong, but the guy who made um, Eagle versus Shark and Hunt for the Wilder People and what we do in the shadows and boy, um, when he made a superhero movie, what's that guy's name? Taki White. I can't say his name, but um, he made. Like, I've seen one what of the we Thor. do in the shadows though. He made one he, of the Thor, Thor Ragnarok, right? Right. He made one of those movies. And I went to see it because I'm a big fan of his. And again, like there, there were the parts that were like clearly his, like some of the one liners were funny, but man, that movie was not for me. Like, um, I just, I can't do it. Um, but that's just about the only kind of movie that I almost never liked. Um, you know, I was, I liked Joker. I was surprised how good that was. It was a little bit different, but anyway. Yeah, that, that was just basically like a, a 70s crime drama hidden underneath a superhero thing to get the budget. But I liked it, too. From the director of Hated, Gigi Allen and the Murder Junkies. And he was once an uh, internet pen pal of mine. We lost touch, but in the early internet days, we were friends. So. Oh, that's cool. Well, yeah. any, anyways, if you have anything else to say, uh, we say bye to everybody. I appreciate it. We had a lot of fun. Definitely. Thanks for doing it, man. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, for sure. All right.